Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. You know, the, the Bible the Bible is um, really the Holy Bible. Bible is just a Greek word. It just means book. Uh, but what makes it special is the word in front of it. It's a holy book. It's a consecrated book, uh, the word of God. And uh, the word of God is, is something that we're going to talk about today is one of, the most nece- one of the greatest necessities that we have in our spiritual journey so that we can grow closer to God. Um, but I want you to think about uh, this for just a few moments. Elton and I were talking about this the other day. How many of you in here, you still, you bring to church, you still rock like a good old school Bible. Like you're not digital. You don't have a glowing Bible. You like rock the old school. Let me see it. Wave your Bibles in the air. Let me see them. Only like a few of you guys. Okay. So uh, the rest of you, you're, you're like, you've gone digital, right? Right? Gone digital. Okay. I had somebody stop me the other day in the lobby and they were like, Pastor Jason, oh my gosh. They're like, have you ever heard of something called Version, The Bible app? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> it was awesome, you know? But it is. It's great. Like if you, if, if you don't have a Bible um, and you want a, like a paper Bible, one of these, uh, we have some, I think, uh, out in the next steps area. You can pick up one of those. But I love the day of, of technology that we're in. It's like you can have your Bible on your phone everywhere you go. My wife was telling me the other day that there's a, there's a new app, I think. I think it's called Bible Beats or Beats by Bible or something like that, Beats by Dre. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and she said that it's like it puts... It's, it, it's like audio Bible, but it's to like beats. And it's like, like, I need to find that. I need to get that. Like, I just need that. I just need to like play that. Like, you know, hop on the Bart and you just like, you're rolling through the book of Leviticus. No, you're not. You know, you'd never do that. You, you're going through the Proverbs. The proverb of the day keeps the devil away, right? Like, whatever. So, but it's like to the little Drake kind of track, like you just go in there, right? But <clears throat> I love it. I still, I still like to, I do both. I still like to rock my, my Bible right here. Like I was, I was telling, I was making fun of my wife the other day. Remember when I said her Bible had no marks in it? But it's not how you mark your Bible. It's how your Bible marks you, right? But I, I love it. Like I still, I have these all day, people. I have them all day. <clears throat> But I, I have, I, I still like to like highlight old school. My mom used to do that. She would write, my mom would write all in the margins and she'd write prayers and promises and she'd star stuff. Um, my, my dad, he passed away, uh, uh, you know, in 2018 and uh, I'm, I'm waiting on his Bible. I'm, hopefully I'll be getting his Bible, but he wanted to leave me his Bible that he preached from. And it's just like, I mean, the thing is falling apart. Here's another one for you. A Bible that's falling apart is a life that isn't. Hey, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, guys, let me see your Bible. Where is it at? You know, but, um, but I do, I, I love the word of God. It's, it's, it's been something that's really changed my life. But I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus and became a follower of Jesus, I, you know, I was, I was around 18 years old. And I remember the, the guy that was the, the pastor of the church. I just asked him, I said, hey, what do I do next? Like I grew up in church, but how many know you can grow up in something and not know anything about it? And I grew up in church, but I didn't know anything about God really. Didn't really know what it meant to truly follow Jesus. I thought it just meant go to church, you know, pay your tithe, whatever that even means, like paying off God. You know, like I think there's a place for all the things, a church attendance and, and you know, honoring God first with your finances and stuff like that. But I, I, didn't, I didn't know what this whole thing meant to follow Jesus. So I asked the pastor, I said, so what's my next step? What do I need to do? And he told me four things. He said, first thing is you need to plant your life into a local church. And he said, here's the thing, Jason, Christian life is not meant to be done alone. Like you cannot do this by yourself. You need, you need people around you. You need to be planted in a church. 
And, he, and I, was, I remember thinking like, well, can I just like figure this thing out by myself and kind of just when it's convenient for me, show up at church? And he was like, no, 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 you, like, you need to be a part of this. The Bible says forsake not the assembly of the brethren or brothers and sisters. Don't forsake meeting and gathering together. Do you know that there's something powerful? Like the fact that you can worship God on your own is awesome. Like hop in your little Honda Accord and, and be like one with the spirit, great. But there's something so much more powerful, I think, that when you come together with a community of faith and our faith together mixes together with the faithfulness of God and his presence shows up and, and he begins to do powerful things, there's something powerful about it. I love worshiping in private by myself, but I love coming together with the church. I love coming together with the people of God. And so he said, first thing, plant yourself in the, in the church because those that are planted in the house of God, their life will flourish, Psalm says. That was the first thing. Second thing he said was, he said, man, there's some people I've noticed that you hang out with. You need, you need to kind of separate yourself from, some, from them, uh, create a little buffer. And not just that, you need to surround yourself with some life-giving relationships. People that, will, that, people that will encourage you in your walk with God. I said, okay, check, number two. Number three, he said, you need to learn how to pray. And he said, because you need, to, you need to spend some time with God. I was like, and when he first said that, you need to spend some time with God, I'm like, okay, spend some time with God. Like, who do I need to set that up with? Does God have an assistant? Like, how does that work, you know? He said, you need to pray. You need to learn how to pray. And the last one, he, says, he said, you need to get a steady diet of feeding on the word of God. He's like, you got to have this. First two were relatively easy. Like, okay, just carve out an hour and a half of my Sunday, go to church. Boom, got it, easy. Second thing, you know, I, need to, I knew it. Logic, logical deduction says these people are bad influences. Get them out of my life. Get some life-giving people around me. Easy, check, could do that. Prayer, it took a while, and I'm still learning how to pray. Okay, it's, it's, I'm still learning how to communicate to my wife after being married for 14 years, right? How about talking to someone that's invisible? That's going to take your whole life, right? So I'm still learning that. But the one when it came to like digging into the word of God and just like spending time with it in his word, it, it, at first it was like such a duty for me, but I wanted it so bad. Like, like if everything he was telling me, this pastor was telling me is like, you're, Jason, you have so much potential, but the only way you ever reach your potential is if you spend time in the scriptures, reading God's word. Um, I, there was something about it. When he said that, something inside of me was like, well, I want that. Like, I, wanna, I want everything God has for me. I want to grow. I want to flourish. I want my life to, to, to produce the fruit of the spirit. I want my life to produce great things. Like, I want to live and be the person God wants me to be. And if it means carving out a little bit of time and spending his word, then I'm going to learn how to do this thing. So I made, a, I made a decision. I would start spending the mornings with God and digging into his word. And literally that, that discipline and that duty became a desire. And now it's become a delight. Like I actually, I, I love spending time in God's word. I'm not sure where you land on this whole spectrum. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't have a Bible. I've never opened a Bible. Uh, my grandmother had one on our coffee table that I used to set my Kool-Aid on, you know, <clears throat> Uh, you have a digital Bible, you have a real Bible the, or the leather Bible. I, I don't know, wherever you land. Or maybe, maybe some of you in here today, you're like, I have a great relationship with the word of God. Like I spend tons of time in his word. It's amazing. Maybe some of you in here today, you, you're, you're like I was whenever I was 18 years old. You, you dug in, you tried, but about a week or two into it, you got super discouraged because you're like, you're probably reading in like Leviticus or Deuteronomy and you're like, what does this even mean? It's like, I can't touch this or do this. Or if that touches me, I'm unholy. Like, and it's confusing and you just get discouraged. Or maybe you're like, I think Nate talked about this last week, the roulette where you just like open the Bible and you're just like, oh, there it is right there. And you land on something like, you know, I don't know. I almost said something bad right there, but whatever, boom. <laughs> 
you know, or, or maybe, maybe you're just, maybe you have the desire and you know how to read the Bible, but you just feel like you have no bandwidth, no margin in your life. And you're just busy, 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 and you're running everywhere, you're picking up kids, dropping off kids, going to work, you know, going to, you know, Whole Foods, whatever. And it's just like, I never have any time. Like I work 50, 60 hours a week. Like, I'm not sure where you land, but here's what I do know is this, is that scripture is one of the primary ways, one of the primary ways that God speaks to his people. It just is. And so if we, if we neglect spending time in his word, here's what we're doing. We're just robbing ourselves. We're not robbing him. We're robbing ourselves from his word to do many different things in our life. And I want to talk about those from what Paul said. But before I do, let me tell you this. This is our statement of faith. I read this in January. I'll read it again today, just so you know where we stand uh, as far as the scriptures are concerned. Uh, our statement of faith about the Holy Bible and our bylaws says this. The Holy Bible containing both the Old and the New Testaments is the only infallible, inspired, and inerrant word of God. It alone is the ultimate, the ultimate, final, and eternal eternal authority and source of all doctrine, instruction, correction, and reproof. It cannot be added to, subtracted from, or superseded in any regard. It contains all that is needed for guidance and godliness and practical Christian conduct. And a couple of the scriptures there, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Peter chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 30, and Romans 16 is where we gathered some of those thoughts. This is where we stand. Now, we live in a culture and we live in a generation where the word of God is kind of optional. We, we live um, even in churches, even in the Christian faith. It was like, oh, man, the New Testament, yeah, that's great. Uh, but the Old Testament, it's kind of, that's not really the God that we want to serve. We, like, we prefer the God of love, not the God of wrath, right? And so, so people can kind of pick and choose what they like. And for us as a church, we just say, man, all of this, we want to build our lives on. Like the word of God, the scriptures, the word of God, it's the filter by which we make decisions as a church, but also as individuals. It's the filter by which I look through this Bible and I see my finances and that's how I try to live my life. My, I, I spend my money, invest my money, use my money, leverage my money in view of the, like through this. What does God's word say about money? My morality, what does God's word say? I look at that. I'm not looking at, at, at TMZ to figure out like, like how I should roll when it comes to like standards on sexual, human sexuality. I'm not. I look through God's word. God, what does your word say about human sexuality? What does your word say about money? What does your word say about holiness and godliness? God, what does your word say about attitudes of the heart? And so everything, it's gotta come back to something and so why not come back to something that's been around for a long, long time? This has stood the test of time. This is an ancient path. And this is a path that our church has decided we're going to go on this path because it's a path that leads us to God. Now, um, the, the position that we have, uh, it doesn't rule out tradition. Uh, it doesn't rule out some of the traditions that people have within uh, the historic church, the traditional church. Uh, it doesn't rule out reason or logic. I think that there's, you, you should read the word of God with logic and with reason. But what, what our position is, is it's the ultimate authority. Logic is important, but it's not the ultimate authority. Um, tradition is important, but it's not the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority for us is the word of God. And what about the Old Testament, though? This is the question that people ask me, even within our church. Like, like Jason, it's just hard to reconcile someone like, like, like Jonah in the well. Like, Jason, come on. Like, did, did the guy really get swallowed by a fish? I'm like, I don't know. Jesus referred, he, he referenced Jonah when he was teaching in the Gospels. And so if, anytime a guy dies and comes back to life, I'm just going to believe what he says. And so he referenced Jonah. And so I just... If Jesus believed in Jonah, I believe in Jonah, right? But <clears throat> there's a lot of things that are hard to reconcile. You read the gospels and you see this loving Jesus 
And then you read like some really harsh judgment that God brings down on, on certain towns and cities and people. And sometimes, I'm not gonna lie, it's hard to reconcile the two. There's some that's poetry in scripture, some that's prescriptive, uh, some that's uh, in, in there that's, that's more historical. But for whatever reason, God decided, like, I'm going to wrap all this together and I want my church to use it to bring instruction, to tell the story of God, to tell the narrative of humanity. And one of the reasons why I, I do say that I, I, I still love the Old Testament and some people, they've kind of written it off. There's a, a famous pastor right now that's, which that sounds so weird, a famous pastor. He's a celebrity. Um, however that works. But he, he's recently wrote a book. I won't say his name. He's recently wrote a book and he's like, the Old Testament is rubbish and we just should stick with the New Testament. And he's a very influential pastor uh, that's written this. But here's the thing. Jesus quoted, listen to this, Jesus quoted in his teachings in the Gospels, Jesus quoted from two-thirds of the Old Testament books as authority and as words from God. Jesus did. And so if Jesus taught from the Old Testament two-thirds of his teachings, then it says that even the Old Testament, it does apply to us. And it is still relevant for us today. And again, some is poetry, some is, is narrative, some is historical documents and things like that. But it is all good, both from Genesis all the way to Revelations. It's, it's good for us. And I think that's one of the things that Paul is trying to say to Timothy. Although Paul is talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, the text we read earlier, he's talking to Timothy and he's referring at this time, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. I mean, literally, his letter is going to become part of the New Testament. So he's, he's referring to the Old Testament when he says, hey, Timothy, all of Scripture, every bit of Scripture, he says, every bit of Scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. That's what Paul tells Timothy. So he's talking about the Old Testament, but we, we know that now through the canon of Scripture that the New Testament is now pulled together within that. But I love it because Paul says, every bit of Scripture, the first thing you need to know, it is beneficial and he says, this is the first thing you need to know. Not only is it beneficial, but you need to know who the author of it is. He says, it has been written by the Holy Spirit. You know, there's 66 books in the Bible. I think there's 39 in the, let me do my math right. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, something like that. So there's 66 books in, in this library called the Holy Bible. There's 66 books. There's many, many different people that held a pen in their hand, but there's only one author, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired and moved upon these people to pen these holy scriptures for you and I. And, and, and it's more than just a document. The Bible right here says about itself, it is actually the breath of God. And I want you to wrap your mind around this. When people wrote scriptures, it was more than just a couple people sitting around with a typewriter and God's like, boom, that's a great idea. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, that's a great idea. This isn't it. This is the Holy Spirit filling a person filling their life and, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they begin to write down what God wants to say to his people. But the Bible says that literally the words on the page are filled with the breath of God. The, the very words, this right here, it's filled with the, with the, 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 the breath of God. You cannot survive without oxygen. You cannot survive without breath. And, and I love it because this is God's breath. And so when you read the Bible, literally, this is what you're doing. When you're studying scripture and reading scripture, even when you don't even understand it, it's so powerful. Your spirit is going, you're breathing in the breath of God. I love one of my mentors. He says this as a pastor. There you go. Go ahead. That's great. Somebody, somebody's like, Line upon line, precept upon precept. I'm getting higher on that. Sorry, sorry guys. 
I have a pastor, uh, one, of, one of my pastors, he says this, as a, as a preacher, what he does is all week long when he studies, he's doing this. And he's holding his breath. And then on Sunday morning, he goes, that's what he says. What a great illustration, right? But you and I, when we spend time in God's word, as abstract of an idea as this is, when you're reading the scriptures, you're literally breathing in the breath of God in your spirit. It's the oxygen for your soul. I think a lot of Christians are dying because they're not breathing. I, I, you know, with this fracture on my ribs, I started to bring my little contraption here today that the doctor gave me, but he said, Jason, one of the, one of the very, uh, one of the problems with breaking your ribs is that, is that you'll be in so much pain, you'll just take short breaths and you won't take deep breaths and you'll, you'll, it'll create pneumonia and your lungs will fill up. And many people die that way from broken ribs. People can die. It's unbelievable. And so I was like, I don't want that to happen. So what should I do? Uh, and so he gave me this little thing and it's like this, these little siloed compartments and this hose and it has these measurements. And, and he was like, you're going to take breaths and you're going to take as deep of a breath as you can. He's like, for the first week, you're only going to get up to about a thousand, but you need to get up to about 6,000. And I remember the first time I did it, he's like, you got to do it 10 times per hour all day long. And all week this past week, I'm like, my wife, my kids look at me like I'm crazy. Like Nixon looks at me, he goes, dad, is that a bong? Like, I'm like, how do you even know what that is? You know, it's like a, I'm like, he's seven. How do you know what a bong is? Public school system. Thank you, Jesus. But anyway, I, the first time I took, a, I took like, I was like, and it hurts so bad. But, it, but as I continued to take breaths, um, it, it, I was, it was like I'm getting stronger and stronger and I could breathe a lot more. And I was thinking about that this morning as I looked at that little contraption. And I thought, if you were to go around to Christians today, I wonder, I wonder how deep we're breathing in the breath of God through his word. Like I wonder if that was, if you were to measure, and it's not about quantity of time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about spending time in his word and breathing in the breath of God. Like what does that look like for you? What does that look like in my life? Because Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you need this. And here's why. Because he says, it will empower you by its instruction. How many of you in here by a show of hands, you say, I need power to do what God's called me to do. I need to be empowered, right? If you didn't raise your hand, let me tell you, you need to be empowered by God to, to do and to be all that he's called you to be. He says, here's why you need the scriptures is because it will empower you. It'll give you instruction. Have you ever needed that? You needed some instruction. You got a little off track or off path. You needed someone to instruct you to bring some correction. He says, he'll give you strength. Like I need strength to do and to be all that God has called me to do and be. He says strength to take the right direction. How many need the guidance of God? Like what if I told you that every decision that you need to make, every decision you need to make, you can find principles in here to guide you in that. How much more would you want to read it? What about instead of just picking up the phone and calling someone first and saying, hey, what do you think I should do? You say, God, what do you think I should do? Every bit of scripture, it's for that. It's direction. It's leadership. And he says, and it will lead you deeper into a path of godliness by a show of hands. How many of you in here, you want to go deeper in your relationship with God? It's the scriptures that help us do that. Scriptures lead us on a path towards maturity, deeper spirituality, and it prepares us to fulfill our life's purpose. And it goes on in verse 17. He says, then Paul or then Timothy, you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared. I want this for every one of you. I want you to hear me say this. And I don't care if this sounds super eloquent or whatever, but this is my deepest desire for our church. 
I'm not trying to build a big church, but I am trying to make a big difference. And what I want for you is this. I want for you to be fully mature, fully mature and perfectly prepared. I want you to be fully mature in Christ Jesus and perfectly prepared to do all that God's called you to do. Now, here's the thing. That is not going to happen by you coming here on Sunday morning and just hearing someone teach for a little bit. But what will happen is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of his word, as you spend time in this discipline of, of, of going down this path, of this, taking in the, the breath of God, reading scripture, Paul was convinced that here's what that was going to happen. It's going to actually help you mature and you're going to grow up. And you're, the spiritual maturation process cannot be separated from time and his word. You're going to mature, you're going to grow, and you're going to be equipped to do all that God has called you to do. I think about that in my own life. My, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Jason, your destiny is connected to your devotions. Your destiny is connected to your devotions. He was like, and if you want to live out the destiny of God for your life, the purposes of God for your life, he was like, you cannot separate that from spending time devoted to the word of God. And that made me lean in and start to dig in. And I can tell you this, I would not be a pastor if it weren't for the call that I received through reading scripture. I would not have chosen Jennifer to be my wife if it weren't for scripture. I probably would have chosen something else and some crazy thing and ended up in a ditch and some bad situation. But instead I read Proverbs 31. Hey girl, I see you back there. Proverbs 31. And I said, that's what I want my girl to be like. And it was a no brainer. Clear the vision, few of the options, easier the decision. I had a clear vision. God gave me a clear vision from his word. So I knew who I wanted to marry. You know why we planted a church here? Here's why we planted a church in San Francisco. People say, did God call you here? I'm like, yep, he did. They're like, well, what, did it, what, did it, what was that moment like? That, was it an audible voice? Was it I'm like, no, no, no. It was, it was his written word. It was whenever I read where Paul says, my ambition has always been to preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached and to plant churches where they haven't been planted. And I wrote down in my, day, my daily devotion that day, I read, it, I read it two days ago. I wrote down, it sounds like to me that Paul's saying, I don't wanna just bring the gospel and plant churches in places where they're everywhere and abundant. I wanna go where it's needed. And when I looked at all the different cities, I thought, here's a city that needs it more than any of those, San Francisco. And that's why we're going there. I'm telling you, your destiny is connected to your devotions. I'm telling you, I, I begin to choose my friendships based on it because I'm telling you, it will guide you, it will direct you, and it has changed my life. I love what Jesus once said about it, about the word of God during a 40-day fast. He says, Matthew chapter four, he says, just or, uh, the, Satan says, just order these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. It was a temptation to turn stones into bread because Jesus was hungry. It was a temptation there. And Jesus' response was this, the scriptures say, the scriptures say. I, I wanna tell you this right now. Some, some of us in here are still dealing with the same reoccurring habitual sin that so easily entangles us, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says. And here's why. It's not because you don't love Jesus. It's not because you're not a good person. It's because you just don't know his word. And you don't know how to deal with temptation, the temptation of sin, because you don't have God's word hidden in your heart. David said in Psalm 119, he says, Lord, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is, there's something powerful about this. It's when temptation comes to Jesus, Jesus says, let me just remind you, devil, what his scriptures, what my father's scriptures say. There's something powerful about it. But he goes on and he says this. The scriptures say, bread alone will not satisfy, but true life is found in every word which constantly goes forth from God's mouth. He's quoting from the book of Deut uh, Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy 8, where it says this, be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live. So the commands were his written word and his spoken word. Uh, obey them and then you will live. That's survival. And you will multiply. That's thriving. 
Uh, and you will enter in, into and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember, he says, how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Listen, he says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna. Manna simply means, what is it? Bread. A food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. But look at this. He did it to teach you. He used bread to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So he's using, he's using this picture of food to teach his people, like, as much as you need food to survive, you need my word in your life. You need it to survive and you need it to thrive. This is the point that he's trying to make. Here's, here's the big point of this. A spiritual life is impossible without God's word. That's, 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 I want to submit that to you, like, a spiritual life surviving and thriving and flourishing, it is impossible without a steady diet of the word of God in your life. So the question is, how do you develop a doable and sustainable diet of spending time in God's word? Not so that you can tick off your daily spiritual to-do list. <laughs> Listen to me. Not so that you can feel pious and spiritual and better than the other bad, bad, bad people around you. That's not why. Not so that you can earn God's love or approval. Listen, sometimes we think, well, if I do this and God's going to do that, that's not it at all. That's not the point. It's not so that you can build up your spiritual equity in order to ask God for some big blessings. That's not why. That's not why we spend time in his word. It's not so that we can cancel out all of our bad habits by doing this one good habit. That's not why. The point is simply to nourish our soul so that we're healthy, strong surviving and thriving. Here's the first thing. It starts with this. It starts with a commitment to grow. This is the starting point. You will never have a desire for this without a desire and a commitment. I want to grow in God. Like I don't want to be where I'm at today. If I'm still here in this same place next year, man, that is sad. If I'm, if I'm still in, the, in five years, if I'm still at the same maturity level, that's not good. That's not a good thing. And you'll only, you and I, we will only dig into this and feast on this and spend time in this to the degree that we say, I am, going, I am committed to growing in God. I am committed to this thing. I want to challenge you, every single one of you, don't stay where you're at. Let's grow. Let's be committed to growing. Let's be committed to just, man, learning God's word. And not just for knowledge's sake. It's not for, knowledge puffs up, but for intimacy's sake. It's when you know this, when you start to know what God's word says about you, you know that you're more than a conqueror. You know that you're the head, not the tail. You know that, you know that by his stripes, you're healed. You start to know these things. What happens is, is your identity gets solidified and you're not tossed back and forth by empty philosophy and, and heresy and bad doctrine. And whenever the enemy comes at you with circumstances, situations, trials, suffering, and all those things to make you question who God is or question who you are, you can go back to his word. It is written. Here's what his word says about me. It's maturity. It's stability. It's, it's, you're like a solid rock. That's what I want for you. And that's what God wants for you. Let's be committed to grow. First Peter chapter two says this in the passage translation. I love it. It says in the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word for this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for life. I know something about this because right now we're, like I said earlier, we're dealing with this thing with, with Novi, our, our three month old, where she's not gaining weight. And so we're working with the doctors and the dietitians to try to figure out like, is she getting enough milk? That's the first question is, is she getting enough milk? Because if she's not, she will have failure to thrive. 
Think about that in Christian terms. Are you getting enough milk? Are you getting enough of the word of God? Or are you failing to thrive? Because that's not God's purpose and plan for your life. We've got to be committed to grow. Listen, write this down. You will only become like Jesus to the degree that you are committed to knowing and obeying his word. It's not just about knowing. Deuteronomy says, if you obey. James says, to hear the word and not do the word. To know the word and not obey the word is like looking in a mirror and something's jacked up and you're like, nah, it's no big deal. It's like, you're, you're, for the ladies in here, it's like your, your lipstick just went all upside your face and you see it and you're like, that's, that's going to be a new trend. I'm going to go with that today. No, that's ridiculous. It's like, guys, we're looking at it and we've got hair coming out of our nose, like disgusting. <laughs> Trim that stuff, right? When you, when you look into the mirror and you see something's wrong, fix it, right? The word of God is a mirror. And we look into it and it's like, okay, this is what it says to do. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to, I'm going to adjust my life to fit what this says. And that's the point of it. You will, not, you will only become like Jesus to the degree that you're committed to knowing and obeying uh, God's word. If you want to grow, you've got to eat. Hebrews 5 says it like this. You have been believers so long. Listen to this. You have been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others by now. What a backhand. I think we don't know who the author of Hebrews is because he said rowdy stuff like this. Like he or she said rowdy stuff like this. Like, like really, you're still at that level? This is what he's saying. Like, are, are you still at this place in your maturity? Because by now, like you've been, going, you've been going to church for 10 years. You should be leading a small group by now. You, you've been a part, like, am I preaching too hard today? Y'all, I'm feisty. I've been, I've been in a recliner like this with broken ribs all week. I'm just trying to... We're going in today. He says, by now you should be teaching other people. Instead, he says, instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. He was like, you are like baby. Oh my God, this dude's brutal. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. He's saying this. He goes, guys, milk is good, but meat is better. And if you want to stay just chilling with the milk, milk then you're going to be malnutritious, malnutrition, and you're not going to grow, and you're going to stay in that place. But by now, like I don't know what the by now period is, if it's a year you've been a Christian, or five years, or 10 years, but at some point you move from milk to meat, and you've learned, listen, I don't need someone else to feed me, I'm going to feed myself. And I'm not just going to feed myself, as I mature, I'm going to learn to feed other people. This is maturity. It's reproducing who you are. The sign, one of the signs of maturity is that you now have the ability to reproduce. I think spiritually speaking, one of the signs of maturity is now you have the ability to reproduce more followers of Jesus. You can make disciples. You can't do that if you're still living on the milk. It says, uh, I wrote this down. We don't eat just on Sundays. You know what happens when you only eat on Sundays. You're hangry. <laughs> you're weak. You're tired. And you're vulnerable. I think the same is true spiritually. If you only eat when you come in here on Sundays, or you only eat on a Wednesday when you go check out a church or whatever. If you're only eating once or twice a week, you will be hangry. That is, you're going to have a terrible attitude. And people will see it and sense it and feel it. I know it. When I'm around people that have a terrible attitude that's on my team, I know, like, you probably haven't been spending time with God's word. And the same is true of me. When I have a bad attitude, I have not been spending time with God's word. Because there's something about his word. When you begin to get in his word, it just starts messing with you. Yeah. It starts point, poking on things like, you really shouldn't talk to your wife like that, Jason. That's not cool. You really shouldn't treat your kids like that. It's what his word does. If you only eat once a week, you'll get hangry. You'll get weak. Spiritually, you'll be weak. 
Number three, you'll be tired. Number four, you'll be vulnerable. Vulnerable and susceptible to sin. Second thing is this, is we will never reach our full potential solely on relying on someone else to feed us God's word, is what I, what I just told you a few minutes ago. Give you a couple of scriptures to roll with that. First Corinthians chapter three, verse two, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. Paul's saying there is a place for a time when someone else feeds you, but eventually you learn how to feed yourself. You have to learn how to do that. I love what Acts 17 says about the Berean church. It says that night the believers sent Paul uh, and Silas off to the city of Berea, where they were once again, where, where they once again went into the synagogue to go and teach. It says they found that the Jews of Berea were of more noble character and much more open-minded than those of Thessalonica. Just kind of threw Thessalonica right under the bus. Uh, <laughs> they were hungry. Look at that. The Bereans, this was their comment. They were hungry to learn and eagerly receive the word of God. Every day they opened the scriptures to search and examine them, to verify that what Paul taught them was true. So get this picture. Paul is like, gets up in front of the Bereans and he's teaching the word of God and they're hungry. They're leaning in. They have their Bible open, right? Imagine that. They don't have a Bible, but they have like, there's something taking notes or leaning in. They're in the mall. They're hungry. They're leaning into the moment. They're listening. They're hanging on every word. And then it doesn't stop there. It's not just Paul feeding them knowledge or feeding them principles, they actually leave and they go and they study the scriptures every single day, it says, for themselves to keep Paul in check, to make sure what he's saying is true. Listen, don't take my word for it when I'm up here preaching to you. Go check everything I say. And if, if I'm wrong, shoot me an email. We'll, we'll, we'll chop it up. But the point is this, is that I think true hunger for God is demonstrated when you and I, we leave this place and, and this is not enough. And we're like, every day we're going after it. We're digging into his word. I love that. So let's get practical for one minute. Five, five things that you need. You need time. You need a place. You need tools. You need a strategy. And you need grace. I'll give them to you really fast like that. You need a time. Set aside a time. We've been talking about this every week. Just set aside maybe 10 minutes in your morning or maybe in the middle of the day at lunch. Set aside a time and guard that time in your schedule. A place. Pick a place with distraction-free place, maybe sitting in your car, maybe putting in your AirPods and you're riding on the way to work, whatever it may be, but set aside a place. Tools, for me, I have my Bible, I have my iPad, I light a candle, this smells like figs, it's unbelievable. I shut my door and I'm by myself and I set the, I set the environment. Um, I have the tools and I have a little commentary that I have beside me. Strategy, have some type of strategy. David said this every, early in the morning, early in the morning, early in the morning. Some of you need to hear that. Early in the morning, he said, I direct my prayers towards you and I wait expectantly. He, he's saying that I have a plan. When he says I direct, it's the language of a, a military commander saying, I have a strategy in how I approach this. It's not mechanical, but it is intentional. And for me, mine is something called soap. We posted on our social media, um, on our Instagram this week, but so, uh, soap is scripture observation application prayer. So every day when I spend time in God's word, I read a scripture, I make an observation, I write down an application, how I apply it, and then I pray, God, help me to apply what I've observed from your scripture. So now I'm praying God's word, which means I'm praying his will for my life. You need to have a strategy. Don't just be like, I, I know Nate said this. Where are you at, Nate? I know Nate said some days I'm just like, ah. <laughs> Listen, let's have a strategy. Let's be intentional. Let's have some type of plan in how we approach that. It may be a, a Bible reading plan on version. You, there's so many resources out there, but let's do that. Have a strategy. And here's the last one. Is how, you need to have some grace. You're going to miss a day. Don't beat yourself up. God's not. You're going you're gonna to miss a week. 
You're going to have one of those weeks. You're going to miss a week. And here's what God's never going to do. He's never going to be over here. And when, when you're thinking about now coming back to spend time with him, he's not going to be like, no, you've ignored me for a week. God's not going to do that. You've ignored me for six months. Some of you, maybe never. God's not going to be like, you've never taken the time to spend with me other than Sundays. I'm done with you. That's not God. It's not God. You know what God does? God does this. He goes, he just, he's like, come on. I'm just glad you want to spend some time with me. Like, let's hang out. That's what God does. He's a God of grace. So we should be people of grace. Give yourself some grace. Don't beat yourself up over it. His word is an acquired taste. And you may start out as a duty. It will become a desire. And I promise you this, it will become a delight. And that there will be a moment where his word will be like the psalmist said, like honey on your lips. You know why they said that? Because uh, the Jewish mothers would read the Torah. They would, they, would, they would quote scriptures from the Torah and they would supposedly they would rub honey on the lips of their infants. So they would associate honey with God's word. My prayer for our church is that his word would be like honey on our lips. Amen. Last one is this, and I don't have time to talk about it, but scriptures, it just points us to Jesus. Like the point of the Bible is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, you read the scriptures day after day after day, thinking that you're going to discover something amazing. Like you're going to get all this knowledge. He goes, and you fail to realize that all of the scriptures point to me. Jesus said that to a bunch of religious people. Listen, you can be religious in your duty to scripture and miss the point altogether. The point is not knowledge. The point is not discipline. The point is Jesus. When I read the Bible now, I do something called uh, look for London. Look for London. I'll tell you what it is. Looking for London is this. There was a a famous pastor in England, older gentleman. He was raising up this young apprentice preacher. And he says, I want you to preach a message this Sunday. So he gets up and he preaches from the book of Deuteronomy. After he finishes his, his, his message, the young preacher asks the older preacher, he says, hey, how do you think I did today? How was my message? And the old preacher says, it was terrible. It was one of the worst messages I've ever heard. <laughs> how encouraging is that? And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, I, I preached a solid message. I was true to the text. I was true to the text. And as they're having this conversation, the older gentleman, the older pastor, he looks at this young preacher. He says, you never preached Jesus. You never brought the scriptures to show where Jesus was. And the young preacher said, but what do you mean? It was in Deuteronomy. Jesus doesn't come on the scene until Matthew, right? (laughs) Like Jesus wasn't in the text. So I just preached the text. And he said, sir, he said, son, he said, in England here, he said, in every town, every village, every hamlet, he said, there is a, there is a main road. He said, but you know what? There's also, there's a road in every town, hamlet and village. There's a road, not only the main road through that city, but there's also another road that leads to the metropolis of London. And he said, and as a, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, you to thoroughly find the main point of every passage in scripture, every portion of scripture, but make no mistake about it. There is a road that leads to our metropolis, which is Jesus. And your job is to find it. So when I read the Bible, I just look and go, where's Jesus? See, Jesus is the true and greater David. He defeated the greatest giant we could ever face. Jesus is the true and greater temple right? You can go all throughout scripture and you can see Jesus is everywhere there in scripture. It all points us to Jesus so that we can know him more, have relationship with him and intimacy with him. It's not activity for God. It's intimacy with God that his word would be like honey on our lips. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. And we just thank you for 
your word today that instructs us, that guides us, that directs us more than more than anything else, my desire for our church, we prayed about it in our pre-service prayer today. God, my desire for our church is that we would have a hunger for your word and that we would, we would have a high view of your word, that your word would not be an option. It would not just be like an option for our life, but it would be the very standard by which we set our life. It would direct us, it would guide us, it would lead us, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God, that your word, it would, it would reveal in us the things that need to change and be transformed, the things that you wanna deal with. And God, we thank you for your word. We honor your word today. And God, I pray that you would awaken in all of us a desire for more of your word. And God, I pray for our church that we'd have a spirit of revelation and understanding as we read. For some of us, we've read and we've tried and we, it's like we, just, we don't understand what we're reading. And that's normal. But God, I pray that you would give us a a spirit of revelation, a spirit of understanding, and that more than knowledge that God, when we read, as we, even tomorrow, as we wake up tomorrow morning and we spend time in your word, God, maybe it's one or two verses that we just meditate on or a chapter that we read. I pray that we would, we would sense the very presence of God, the breath of God, breathing in to our lives, putting wind in our cells. God, that's what my prayer is for our church today. Lord, we thank you for it today. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.